last Sunday of the month, uh, the students stay in the room <clears throat> with us instead of going downstairs uh, to junior church. We do this so that we, for one, get all worship together, um, and two, adults, this gives you a very wonderful opportunity to shepherd children around you, whether they're yours or mine or others, as they watch you, how you listen and how you worship through music and through offering and through the responding of God's word. Um, you're teaching children right now, how do we sit under the word? And so that's why we do Family Sunday. We want, we want our children to grow up, not only have amazing times downstairs where things are, are directed right towards them at their age, but also for them to see how do we gather as adults and sit under the word. So we're going to be uh, in our Bibles today, Mark chapter 4. We're not in Daniel. We have finished Daniel. If you miss those, then you can go back online, and our sermons are, are all there. Uh, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 20. As you're turning there, the title today is Fruit Matters. How do you know if someone believes the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like, how do you know? That's, that's an important question, right? Like, if you're going to marry someone, you want to know, are they a believer? How do I know if they're a believer? As a church, we wrestle with this question every time. Someone joins for membership, we talk to them about their salvation, what they believe. We're trying to understand, do they know the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're a parent shepherding your children, how do you know if they've trusted in Jesus? When they come forward and say, hey, I want to go in the water, and I want snacks when it gets passed by, you know, communion. How do you know if they actually know the gospel or just simply are hungry during service? Uh, many of you, you have people in your lives, and they have not gathered in church for, for years at a time. Maybe their Bibles uh, are quite dusty. And they say, but it's okay, I'm a Christian. How do you respond? Is there a response there? And so, most importantly, how do you know if you're a Christian? And this is a question we, we want to know, and the Bible answers this. It's not silent here. It gives us reasons. We can, we can have assurance of our salvation. And today we're going to see that there are many ways people respond to God's Word. But there is only one way which reveals our salvation. So that's what we're going to do today as we look in Mark chapter 4. And so one thing we do is we stand when we read God's word. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We do so to, uh, to remember that this word comes to us with the full authority and inspiration of our Father in heaven. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. This is Jesus teaching. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with, tw with, with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, 
to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones among one sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you now, God, our Heavenly Father. And we thank you for your word that reveals your truth. And God, I pray, give us ears to hear your word today. Help us to hear. Help us to respond in faith. May your word produce fruit in our lives just as the rain comes down from heaven and produces fruit. May your word penetrate our hearts, expose any sin that needs to be repented of. May your word expose any wrong understanding that we have of you, of your son Jesus, and of the gospel. Father, we thank you for the grace we experience just right now as we freely gather to worship you. God, I pray that as we hear, that God, you work through your word and that we would, we would grow in our faith and understanding and we would leave here today not only with a greater understanding, but with a greater love and devotion for you. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, normally, we preach through books of the Bible, and we go uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, so this is kind of a standalone sermon. Chris was in Deuteronomy last week. We're in Mark this week. Next week, we'll be in Psalm 96. And then in your little calendar, you'll see starting June... 17th, something around there, uh, we are going to start a series in 1 John. And so if you want to be preparing for that series, we will go through the book of 1 John in nine weeks. But here we're in Mark today. So what is Jesus talking about? We see in verses 1 and 2, he's about to teach a large crowd. He's going to do so with parables. What's a parable? Ever wonder that? A parable is a real-life story that reveals a spiritual truth. That's simple definition. Real life story reveals spiritual truth. So this means Jesus is not actually going to be talking about gardening and planting and farming today, which is probably mostly helpful for us. In verses 3 through 9, we have the parable. In verses 13 through 20, there's the explanation of the parable. And in verse 14, we read that the seed is actually God's word. That's what's being thrown out. And in fact, the word word is used eight times in verses 13 through 20. So everything is about hearing the word of God and how we respond to it. And that's, that's the point today. Now the sower here is Jesus. He's, he's the one casting out the word. But in reality, 
The sower could be a pastor. It could be any, any believer in Jesus Christ as they're sharing the word. So you, at any point, could be this very sower. Now in verse 10, the disciples, they come to Jesus and they seek understanding. And in verses 10 through 12, before we get to the explanation of the parable, we're going to hear a very important truth. And the truth is, is that there are insiders and that there are outsiders. That's what we see. Look at verse 11. Jesus says to you, referring to the disciples, those who are now with him, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But then Jesus contrasts them with those he refers to as, but for those outside. Verse 12 also refers to these outsiders as, as they. Verse 13 refers to the insiders as them. So we have them and they. So we have the insiders we have outsiders. Insiders are those who understand the secret of the kingdom of God. That's verse 11. They're the ones who trust in Jesus, who obey his word. Outsiders are the ones who hear the parable, but they do not understand, and they do not respond correctly. They don't seek forgiveness. Outsiders are those who ultimately reject the teaching of God's word. And notice, that's actually a function of the parable. So you probably have heard, Parables are nice, cute little ways that we're to, to preach because they're nice and memorable and it helps everyone understand the meaning of the story. You probably have heard something like that. Well, that's dumb and false because it's not biblical, right? What we have here is parables reveal a spiritual truth to insiders, but for others, those outside, they do not understand. They will not seek forgiveness because it's given in parables. So the parable functions to reveal and conceal spiritual truth. So it's not just a cute method. And this is something God has done before. He quotes Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commissioned as a prophet to go to Israel, preach the word. And he says, they will not respond. You're preaching of the word. They will hear but not understand. They will see but they will not perceive. And so what Jesus is doing here is very much what the prophets have done in the Old Testament. When the word goes out... There are some who will respond in faith, and there are some who, who will not respond in faith. Now these categories, they're nothing new that we come across. Maybe new terms, but the Bible always breaks up humanity into one of two categories. You're either a disciple of Jesus or you're not. You're either in Jesus or you're outside of Jesus. You're either light or your darkness. Those are the categories that Scripture uses. We do not have a neutral or third ground party. There's no agnosticism according to God's Word. You either believe in Jesus or you do not believe in Jesus. Those are the two categories that the Bible always presents. Before we go into uh, the parable, uh, what is the secret of the kingdom of God? Secret refers to something that was previously concealed so what we know as we come through scriptures that well jesus is the secret of the kingdom of god all throughout the old testament we've been waiting for god to establish an everlasting kingdom and for a king to come who will rule in perfect righteousness when we go back to the old testament we see that there's this kingdom called israel and we get good kings like david but then we have other kings um, like Manasseh and others who completely reject the teaching of God's word. And eventually Israel is broken up and some go off into exile into Assyria. Others are going off into exile in Babylon. That was the whole book of Daniel. Um, 
And so what we see is that we're still waiting for a king who will truly come and establish a kingdom with a throne that will never be passing away. We need the everlasting king with the everlasting kingdom. And what parables do, they begin to lead us to the right understanding that Jesus is the one who has come to establish his kingdom and that he is the king. And so that when we respond in faith to God's word, we don't just respond that Jesus is our savior, we respond to him that he's our Lord and we bow in submission to him. So how ultimately does does Jesus establish the kingdom? I mean, that's the gospel, that he comes ultimately to die on a cross for our sins. The Bible clearly says we're all born sinful. We reject God because we want to be God. We want to do whatever it is that we want to do. We want to sit on our thrones and dictate what is right, what is wrong. We want to be judge. And what we see is that's because we've rejected God as our king and our judge. Therefore, we're under his condemnation and judgment. But God sends his son, Jesus, that he would establish a kingdom through the cross, that he would die, that whoever would believe in him would receive forgiveness of sins and become citizens of God's kingdom. That we'd become citizens of his kingdom and we'd live with him once again in all of eternity under his perfect rule and his perfect reign. It's insiders. It's those who respond to the parables in faith that reveal that they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so let's look. <clears throat> look, look at the parable. There's three pictures of outsiders. There's one picture of an insider. So that's what we're going to see. There's three pictures of an outsider, one picture of an, in, of an insider. And the first one we come across is I've labeled it immediate rejection. In verse 4, we see there's some seed that falls on the path, but the birds come and eat it quickly. Verse 15 interprets that. It's nice when the Bible does that for us, right? This is what that means. Good, great. Makes this easy. Verse 15, we learn that Satan is the birds who come and take away the word. So what does that look like? What does this look like? Seed on the path. Well, I was sharing a gospel, or a gospel, I was sharing the gospel at the gym uh, with a guy, and he quickly said, look, I have better things to do on Sunday. I don't need church. Okay? I mean, he said it just about like that. One time I was in Bend with Bob. He probably remembers this. I'm sharing the gospel with a guy next to me at the dinner table. He says, I don't need God. Stop talking. Okay? That's what happens. There's people that respond this way. Another time I'm at a coffee shop, I'm sharing the gospel with this guy. This guy over here says, you need to stop. I had no idea what he was talking about at first. So I said, are you talking to me? Yes, you need to stop. And so I said, well, what am I doing? He said, you can't talk about God here. To which I said, well, that's interesting. Who do you think God is? Do you, do you want to talk about this? And he said, no, I don't want to talk about God. And he, he ran out. That was actually the only time I've had a guy run from me. It was really strange. Um, but those are obvious ways. There are some people who reject the word very immediately, very hostile, very abrasive. Um, but there might be other ways that this takes place. Staying up late on Sundays. I don't do church. Sundays, I'm just up late. Um, or maybe they're the ones who come 
um, on Sundays. And you notice, I mean, they're great. The coffee, they're great out in the foyer, singing time, greeting time, preaching starts, and their head falls down. Have you, have you noticed that? Like, as soon as the preaching starts, the head goes down. So you can look. So anyone around you, head down. You can give them an L, don't be like the first soil. That, that, that could be... This rejection, atheists sometimes are very quick to reject Christianity and call it foolish. Some are great and they'll have great conversations with you. Some are, are, are more hostile or abrasive at times. It's the first soil. The second soil, we have delayed rejection. This is verse 5. We see that some seed falls on the rocky soil. It springs up quickly, but because it has no roots, no depth, it will begin to wither Jesus explains this in verse 16 and 17. He says, These are the people who initially received the gospel with joy, but because of difficulty, suffering, trials, pains, they will fall away in time. I want to say three things about this one. Number one, there is a receiving of the gospel that does not last. But you have to know that. There is a receiving of of the gospel that does not last. Our goal is not to get people simply in these doors. Our goal is not to have people just walk an aisle or to get into water. That's not the goal that we have. Those are good, but that can't be the end game. I mean, imagine, imagine a guy running a marathon, and after mile one, he stops, I did it! And he walks off. What, what did you do? Or, or imagine the football player on the 45-yard line catches the ball, spikes the ball, and does his touchdown dance right there. That's strange. What we have in, in the Bible is we don't have an understanding where salvation is just a decision. Yes, it, it's about coming to know Christ. It's hearing the Word of God. It's believing and it's trusting in Jesus. It's our, hearts, it's our hearts bowing down in devotion to Him, which lead to a life living obediently for Him. We want to see people live for Jesus. Second thing, do not promise circumstantial blessedness. Do not tell people, you should believe in Jesus. Your life will be so great then. All your problems will go away. Know my God. At that point, they really don't want your God. What they want is no problems, right? And now, I, I will admit, and we come to know Christ. There is a peace. There is a joy. There is a love that we experience. In one sense, we could say, your life is, is forever changed. It is so much better. There is a truth there, Right? But that doesn't mean our circumstances will necessarily improve. There have been many people whose faith is shipwrecked because of false hopes, because they've been told a wrong gospel. In fact, if anything, when we come to Scripture, what we see is that coming to know Jesus will what? Will often lead to greater difficulty. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. This is Paul saying, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When Paul goes back after his first missionary journey and he's going to strengthen the churches who have believed, he says in Acts 14, 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we enter into the kingdom of God. 
in the book of Psalms. We see the psalmist at times, and he is elated with joy, right? I mean, he is praising God. Psalm 150, let, let all instruments and, and cymbals and trumpets and everything give praise to God. I love psalms like that. Don't you love when that's your heart and that's which where you're at? But then we also see the psalmist at times where he's in great pain and he cries out, God, where are you? Do you hear me? So we often see that the psalmist is in great trial. In the book of Revelation, which will be at later this year, we'll see that the saints will suffer. The book of Daniel, which we just went through, we saw Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is a representative of God's people in Babylon at that time. They, they suffered in their faith. And then we saw, as Daniel looks forward to the end of time, to Christ's return, is that there will be suffering at times for God's people. We know from God's word, God uses suffering and pains and trials as a means uh, of growing us in our faith. Of, uh, it's, it's for our good, just as a father uses discipline for his children. So the father uses various things as a way of refining and strengthening our faith. But what God wants to use for our good, Satan wants to use to pull us away from God. I talked to a guy one time. I'm at a store and buying some stuff, and I, I tried sharing the gospel with him, and very quickly he said, look, my wife died because of cancer. I don't want a God that would allow that. That's where he was at. Often, the thorny soil will respond like the first soil. They weren't always there. They weren't always there, but now through pain, through suffering, through trials, they're kind of abrasive now. So when we share the gospel, we need to hear and we need to listen. What are they rejecting right now? Why are they upset? Is it just they think it's foolish? Or is there something that's happened in their life that has led them to this? Third, about this, and hear this. When we have brothers and sisters struggling in the faith because of various trials we must not move away from them but we must move toward them do you hear that we must move toward them it's in trials that we as a church must move towards one another locking our arms with one another carrying each other helping each other strengthening each other loving each other and guess what sometimes they won't want that you realize that? Sometimes they will push you away very hard. And what I've heard, and what we can be guilty of is, well, you know, I tried, but you know, they, they didn't want me to help them. Yeah, they don't want you to help them. They're going through intense pain. Sin always causes us to push people away. So what do we do at this moment? We must move towards them. We fight to hold on to them, to love them, to care for them. I just want to encourage you, if you know someone, in your life who is going through some type of pain, some type of struggle, you are God's instrument placed in their life at this time to be the person to come and love on them. Do you know that? You are God's... Now you might say, well, I'm not qualified. Oh, do not underestimate the power of the gospel. You have the Spirit of God in you. Know that you have the Spirit of God. You know the truth of the gospel. You know the message that gives life. 
You have everything you need. And so move towards people when they're struggling. The last, last um, outsider category, slow rejection. Verse 7, we read about seed that goes into the thorny soil. It's choked and unfruitful because of the thorns. Verse 18, the interpretation, uh, we see that this thorny soil describes those who are distracted by the cares of this world. And ultimately, what's, what's, what's the result? It's unfruitful. Let's try it again. It's un. Good man, from the mouth of kids. That's awesome. You're just a little bit behind him. Um, at a previous church that I worked at, I was a youth pastor there. And, uh, man, it was great. I, I loved working with the youth. And I had this one guy, he came, and he served in that youth ministry. He was a volunteer, and he was great. He loved helping out with the students. He was there every Wednesday night. I mean, pretty much anything we did, he would make sure he prioritized that. He was with them. He was helping. He went on camps with us, on mission trips with us. Uh, we went down to different countries with him. He loved the kids. He cried with the kids. He helped them. He would give whatever it was for the children. And then he got a different job. And his job made a lot more money. And, you know, as waves will kind of push against a boat, and if the wave is able to, it'll try to move the boat off course. And so that's what I saw was happening here with him. And so in time, I went to him and I said, I love you, but I think that you're moving away from the gospel. And again, money's not bad. It's okay to make money. It's okay to make a lot of money, but we need to know there's a temptation there. And, and he said, no, no, you're being foolish. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm fine. Well, slowly, he, he helped out less and less with youth until eventually he wasn't a part of the church at all. And in about six months, he had completely left the church. He had other things to do. Do you know anyone like that? If you're in ministry long enough, you'll, you'll see that a lot. And it hurts every time. Every time. Do you know anyone who's been at church, who's served, who's, who's been a part of it, but now, for whatever reason, they've not been part of the church. They've not engaged with God. They've not been in their Bibles. Do you know people like that? You know what's really dangerous? This will be maybe a little strange for you to hear. <coughs> it's when they don't leave the church. Do you know that's dangerous? You know, that might sound weird, but the thing is that they can think that they're Christians. Imagine, imagine a church that's full of thorny soil. Just think, what would that look like? Imagine a church that thinks success is just more butts in the seats. While we're growing, we're doing good, right? Imagine a church that thinks success is bigger budgets and more staff. Based upon those two categories, I mean, we're actually doing really good. We've increased our budget, we've grown in numbers, and, and we hired on another staff member. There could be a danger there. Imagine a church that's always about the bigger and better. Imagine a church that's so caught up in the cares of the world that its message begins to change so that it becomes more culturally relevant and they cry out, unity at all costs, even if it means doctrinal abandonment. What would that look like? Imagine a church that is so caught up 
Imagine a church where the members become so distracted that their lives look exactly like those outside the church. I mean, can you imagine that? The, the sad thing is, here in America, we, we see this a lot, don't we? Think about this. There's a lot of churches like the thorny soil. There is a danger when we don't have church membership or we don't hold on to church membership. And anyone can be a member. And there's no requirements. There's no qualifications. There's no, there's no fruit necessary. What would it look like if we're starting to go down this path? So I'm just going to give some things. It might, you might feel like your toes are stepped on. Good. Like that's why I'm saying them, right? So I can't really apologize. Um, there's probably a lot of things I'm not saying, but these are just some things as I begin to think, man, if we started becoming so distracted from the gospel, what would it take? What would a couple steps begin to look like? Not full-on abandonment, but what would the first five, six, seven steps look like? Probably think about what I'm watching on TV. I'm not saying throw out your TV. I have a TV. Maybe some of you should throw out a TV. But what are you, what are you being entertained by? What you think about? Are we being entertained by lust, rape, drugs, sex, brutal, graphic murders on TV? Is that, is that what entertains us? Is that what we block out for hours at a time to sit and to watch? What's on your Netflix queue right now? What are you recording on Comcast or whatever it is that you use? If we prioritize the Game of Thrones, <laughs> stepping on toes, then I promise you, God is not sitting on his throne in your life. I want you to think about it. What would you be entertained by? Think about our money. Does our money obviously prioritize the advancement of God's kingdom? Or does it prioritize the advancement of your kingdom? Now, we give our budget, it's right there on the front. Like, we're in the black, it's great. Does that mean we're giving the way God should? I don't know. But we need to be praying. How am I using God's kingdom? If you can do everything you want to do, your offering might not actually be a lot if it doesn't begin to infringe upon your budget, putting that out there. If you're constantly on Facebook and on other media, I know Facebook's not cool anymore. It's just the only one I still remember. So I know... I know you guys are all on other stuff. You guys, do you guys even have Facebook? No? Yes. I feel older now, thanks. That's awesome. Mom does. Yeah, all the old people? Now we got Facebook. Awesome. No more kids talking. Um, just think, what takes up so many hours of your day? You probably don't even realize the amount of media intake you do at times. And you know what I hear as, as Christians so often say? I just don't have time to read the Bible. I'm so busy. But if I took out the four hours a day, I was actually on all this media, I might actually have time to do things. The words we use. I want you to think about, are your words different? Or the, the way you use the words, the purpose of your words, are they different than the people at your school? at the people on your sports teams, at the people you work with, are they different? If we use words the exact same way everyone else uses words, 
with the same purposes, the same meaning, the same desires behind them, we might not be speaking the way God truly has called us to speak. If our Bibles are dusty, I guarantee you, you're already six steps gone. If you're not in the Word, if you have an empty prayer closet, and I don't actually have a prayer closet, but you know what I mean? If you're not in prayer, you're moving that way. Prayer is our faith in action. It's us saying, God, I know that I need You to work in this situation. If I'm not praying, then I don't need God's help. That's literally what prayer is. It's calling on Him to do that which we cannot do. I spend a lot of time on this one because I, th- I think this is where so much of the American church is. Now, honestly, I, I, I think that God's done a lot of work here in our church. I think we're growing. I think there's amazing stuff happening. I see tons of you growing in depth in your knowledge of God's Word, moving towards one another in community. There's many, many, many great things that are happening here at Timberline. But I know, I know that these things are still prevalent in our hearts I know there's temptations. I know there's some of you that are here that this is going to just be resonating right with. If you're a parent here, if you're a parent and you're thorny soil, you're shepherding your children to hell. Gotta hear that. You're showing them this is Christianity. It's lip service only. And that is not a picture of the gospel here in God's word. It's not a picture. And so children, you need to know that. Students, you need to know. You need to know. Your parents, they may love Jesus, but they are not perfect representations of Christ. Okay? They're not. Don't base Christianity off of your parents. Some of them are doing great. Some of them are struggling, but you know what? We're all sinful. We all need forgiveness. We all need Christ. So parents, we should hopefully be giving a good picture even when we sin and we repent and ask forgiveness. That's a great picture. But, but students, if you want the real picture, we must be in the Word. We must be in the Word. Parents, take them into the Word. Read the Bible with them. Shepherd them in the Word of God. Let them hear you repent when your life does not measure as what the God's Word says. That is good shepherding. If we just summarize these three soils, I'd say they all, they all reject the authority of Jesus. That's what they do. Seed on the path? I don't need Jesus. That's foolish. Rocky soil? How can a good God allow suffering? I don't need that kind of God. Thorny soil? I want a Jesus who makes my life better. Power, prestige, possessions. If he does that, he's good. If he doesn't, I'm out. That's the prosperity gospel, which consumes the largest churches in America today, mostly. That's what we see. you got to know, this is, this is what's out there. So we need to understand. But there's also... God graciously gives us here a picture of, of, the, of the insider, of, of the good soil, of the proper way to respond to God's word. Verse 8, here it is, picture of an insider. We see seed falls on good soil, and guess what it does? It's fruitful, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It produces fruit. Verse 20, we read the good soil is the one who hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. Why is this soil fruitful? 
because it hears it. You know, it hears the word. And it hears the word differently than the other people heard the word. In our English Bibles, we don't see this, and, and that's okay. Uh, but the hearing that the other soils did is different hearing. When we read that the other soils heard the word, the hearing is in the eros tense, which refers often to a, a one-time type event. And, and so it means that, yes, they heard the word. But the hearing that's used in the good soil, and it's the only time the word hearing is used in this tense, is in the present tense, meaning it keeps on hearing. It hears and hears and hears and hears and hears and hears the word. And actually, not only is the word hear in the present tense, but also the word accept and bear fruit is in the present tense. Meaning it keeps hearing, it keeps accepting, saying, I believe that this is true, and it keeps bearing fruit, saying, I want to obey this. That's the good soil. The good soil is the one who continually hears, continually accepts, continually responds in obedience to God's word and thus is fruitful here is the insider the christian the disciple of jesus is one who hears the word continually and responds appropriately to the word that's the good soil this is how we know who believes in jesus we look at their lives at their testimony and their lives and there will be fruit sometimes there's a lot sometimes there's little but there will be fruit is that consistent with other scripture? Or did we just pull this out of somewhere? Um, if you just go back, just to verse 35 in chapter 3, look what Jesus says. His brothers and sisters are looking for him. And Jesus says, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever obeys God, that's my family, is what Jesus says. I'm just going to read scripture. And so just listen to what these say. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, so the word obey is being used instead of believe this time. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, which means believing and obeying go hand in hand together. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus. That's good, right? That's what we do. We believe in Jesus and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. You hear that? Whoever keeps, you say you love, great. You say you believe, good. Do you keep his commandments? That's the evidence of that faith. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You hear that? You say, I have faith, but my actions don't show that. He says, our faith must give evidence by our very lives. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God. We keep His commandments. Do you hear that? Loving God. Say, I love God. I bow down before Christ as my King. What does that look like? Obeying His commandments. 
James 2.17, to break from John, because those were all John. So faith, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Bible knows nothing of faith without works. It does not know that. Now let me clarify. In no way am I saying we are saved by our works. In no way am I saying that. Clearly, from Scripture, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that grace and faith all alone in Christ will produce fruit. And it's evident in our lives. Now, this makes sense, right? What do you think about it? The gospel transforms. We know this. Let me, let me illustrate. This is an illustration that's not original to me. I'm simply borrowing it from others. I've actually heard it several times, so it's in some form. It, it sounds like this. If I arrived late this morning, maybe like right before I'm supposed to come in here, I run through the double doors, I run up here, hey guys, sorry, I am late. I was walking down Yelm Highway today, and I was walking, and I was praying, and getting ready for service, and a semi veered over and hit me head on, and just hit me. So it took me a while to get here, but I'm here now. Would you believe me? How slow is the semi going? I said, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe me. There, there'd be no noticeable difference in the way I looked. If a semi hit me, I would have limped, crawled, been dead, right? I mean, there would have been an impact that would have happened from a semi hitting me that would have been noticeable to everyone. And you'd be like, yet yeah, something happened, obviously. Look, he can't move. But the lack of physical evidence would, lead, would lend you to not believing my story, right? You say, eh, I think the preacher's a liar today. But hear this. The gospel of Jesus makes a much greater impact on our lives than a semi does. Look, what can a semi do? It can maybe take your life, right? What do you think about it? In Ephesians, we're told that before we come to know Jesus, we're dead in our sins. It says we're dead in our sins. We don't believe in God. We don't follow God. In fact, it says we follow Satan. And all of our desires are after the lusts of the world. We have no desire to follow Jesus. But then if we keep reading in verses 4 and 5 in Ephesians 2, it says, but God rich in mercy does what makes us alive in christ jesus see a semi can take our life but i mean honestly there's not there's a lot of things that can take our lives in this world but god gives life by his grace he breathes life into our very souls that he wakens us from being spiritual zombies that we become children of god and that we'd follow God. Kids are saying zombies now. It's good. That's what they're going to walk away with. Lunch later. Did he talk about zombies, Dad? Yes, he did. But not dragons. <laughs> Different joke. Um, but our God breathes life into our hearts. And when that happens, he makes us alive and we live differently. Do you know that? Alive people live very differently than dead people. Profound thoughts, right? But do you get it? Alive people in Christ live very differently than people who do not know Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Do you know that you're light? Wherever you go, you are light in this world. So I want to end two ways. One, 
I hope encouragement. I hope for some of you, you're encouraged. You're going, man, I want to keep pressing on. I want to keep running the race. I want to keep in the Word. I want to keep growing in this knowledge. I know that I'm shepherding to whatever ability, but I want to keep pressing on into the Word, continue to shepherd my children in the way that they would know God, that they would understand Him. If you're here today and you say, okay, I get this, I want this, but what if I don't want to read the Word of God? Do you ever have that time? I just don't really want. So what we do at that moment we respond, in, we, we respond in obedience, because that's what faith is. We continue to respond in obedience, trusting that our God is faithful, and that as we read in obedience, He's going to bring about that joy that He promises we have. So we keep reading. We don't say, well, I'll read when I, when I feel like it. No, no. We fight for those feelings and affections, and we do so by coming to His Word and saying, God, help me. Restore that joy. And this is what I do. This is what I do. You don't have to do it at all. You can come up with your own method, probably a better method. I set time aside. I I have roughly the same time every day that I read um, for just my own personal time. Set aside a a time. Make sure you can prioritize that time. Um, I do the pray, read, pray. So I pray before. I read and I pray afterwards. But one thing that I've done, and I used to only do this sporadically, but I'm finding it so helpful I, I journal every time I get done reading now. And this was something I fought for a lot. Like sometimes I just journal once a month, once a week, once in a while. All I try to do is say, what did I learn about God here? What did I learn about sin? What did I learn about Jesus? What truth is here today? And I just, I just write. Sometimes it's, it's like three sentences. Sometimes it's like a full page. My full pages are, are small pages. Uh, that's just what's been very helpful for me. But I'm trying to make sure I'm responding to the word every time however you do that respond to the word now to so encouragement i hope many of you are encouraged that now you i I am saved i know how to speak salvation to others but others my main i guess application would be repentance now to some degree we probably all need to repent today right and repentance is good to some degree we probably all need to repent some way we become like the rocky soil or the thorny soil. Some way we may be acting like that. But, but there are some of you, we're going through here, you know that, man, I, I have not lived as God has called. My life is not in obedience to Scripture. And you need to practice a repentance that leads to salvation. And I want to encourage you to do that. To trust in Jesus. What I, what I hope doesn't happen is that you hear all this and you go, that's good. That was a nice little message. And then you go off. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just let that sit in. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We could say that different ways. The one who truly has faith. The one whose faith is evidenced by his fruit. Many ways we could say that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, 
Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is a receiving that does not last. We saw that earlier. There are those who think that they know Jesus. But what they know is a Jesus that they have made and imagined in their own mind. It's one made after their image, not the God of the Bible. And on that day, they will hear very hard words. And I don't want that for anyone here. And so I encourage you, trust in Jesus. Repent in Jesus. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's what God desires us to do. I'm going to pray. And I'll ask the men to come forward and we'll take communion. Our Father, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that, that tells us that you are a good, holy, righteous Father. And that when we have sinned, you did not leave us alone, but that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, who came on this earth as a man that he would die on a cross and rise three days later so that we who believe in him could be forgiven. God, I thank you for the salvation that you offer. Lord, may everyone here know this gospel message that we are guilty and that there is forgiveness in your, sin, in your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray that, that we would believe in you and that there would be fruit in our lives and that we'd, <clears throat> that we'd hunger for your word. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who today just realizes they have not been trusting in you, they have not been living, bring them to repentance today, Lord. May we all trust in you. May none of us hear those words, I do not know you on that day. But Lord, may we run to you on that day. And may your arms be wide open. And may we know that they are because of, because of our faith in your son Jesus and the fruit that comes from our lives testifying to the authenticity of that faith. Lord, we love you. In your name, Jesus, amen. We do open communion. You do not need to be a, a member here at Timberline. We simply ask that you are a member of God's church, that you have trusted in Jesus as they get ready. Just a couple questions. We always do questions. You can text in anything during the sermon. What do you say when they say, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, I don't need your religion, I don't need you to preach to me? Um, so it's so hard. When you're in a relationship with, or when you're in a conversation, so much can affect your answer by the, what was said before, who the person is, what kind of relationship you have. Um, one, it's, it's kind of good to know what standard are we using Maybe that would be a way to talk. But do good people go to heaven? Forgiven people go to heaven. Not good people. Forgiven people. So we're, we're working on different definitions at this point too. And so we, we want to steer them away from just thinking, I'm better than other people. Um, and we want to begin uh, showing them a God who created for a purpose and a will. And that because we are human, and in Adam, we have rejected that will and that purpose. And so we want to move them that way. 
And, and really, uh, the best way to do this is in conversation over and over and over again, and you get better. There's a lot of times I walk away from people going, oh man, I blew that one so bad. Uh, so that's okay. I mean, hopefully we don't say heretical things. Like, that's bad. If we do, we should probably go back and fix that. But there's times I'm like, oh man, I should have said this, or I could have said that. Practice, practice. Um, what was my response to the guy that said, my wife died of cancer, I don't want a God like that. Um, actually, I wasn't able to respond. Uh, he kind of moved away, and other people were there, and I wasn't able to go back to him. And I did have intentions of, man, maybe I could go back later. I could write him a letter. And, and actually, I, I didn't do that. Thank you for letting me admit that now to you. Uh, so I didn't do anything there, which was probably not very helpful. Um, are we already certain soils if God has determined us to be rock, rocky soil or other soil? Then what does it matter what we do. This person's touching on, okay, obviously this passage seems to touch on some type of sovereignty of God. Um, yes, it does, but if you want to know if you're the good soil, respond to God's word. God doesn't give us this parable, so we go, that person's rocky soil, that person's thorny soil. Okay, it's not the point. We don't try to classify people um, but it does help us understand why sometimes people say things. Um, but it does let us know if we want to be good soil, if we are good soil, then, then believe, respond in obedience. Last question, can a soil change to a different soil? Robert, can, can soil do that? He's our botanist. Um, <laughs> so that'd be actually an interesting question how you'd answer. Um, I would say from our perspective, yes. I mean, in one sense, think about it. Were any of us good soil? No, see, he knows. You're doing a great job raising them, Lynn. They know it. But like, all of us are, all of us are born rejecting the gospel. All of us are, are born rejecting the gospel. And so, from our perspective, we, we, it looks like we do, we do change. The, the rocky soil, the person who's experienced pains and tribulations, now responds like the, the, the seed on the path. So it does look like sometimes we change from our perspective. Um, but I think, going back, the important thing is, whoever, whoever believes in God, we can rest assured that God receives us. That God's not turning away anyone that wants Him. So if you want to be good soil, if you want to know if you're good soil, believe in the word of God, hear the word of God, and live out the commands that God has given us. Okay, 